Come join us as we talk about everything from agile best practices to the latest DevSecOps tools and techniques. Welcome to the Agile Reformists, presented by Matrix. Well, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Joshua Jack. I'm uh, the leader over here at Matrix in the Agile DevSecOps practice, Vice President of Professional Services. Welcome to today's webinar, which is DevSecOps versus SecDevOps. So a little bit of a crazy title for today. What do you need to know? Uh, really, we're going to be jumping into talking about all the different variants and does it matter and, and all of this good stuff around uh, security and DevOps. But uh, First, I want to welcome everyone. Uh, Tim Wilcoxon will be our guest today. Um, he's our leader in the in the uh, practice uh, specifically focused on DevSecOps, and we'll get to meet him in a few minutes. I'll introduce you guys to him and let him talk a little bit about his background and his, his experience. But let's go through a couple things first before we jump right in. So for those of you who are not familiar with Matrix, um, where we have a long storied history, strong uh, staffing provider, as well as a over the past um, several years, uh, going back 15 to 16 years um, in consulting. And uh, we've really refocused our, our consulting business around uh, digital success, specifically agile DevSecOps. Uh, we have about 13 offices across the United States. Uh, last year, we had, a, we had a great year, multiple discoveries. Uh, helped stand up multiple DevSecOps and Agile teams, trained over 5,000 people and uh, multiple hours of coaching. So I uh, just want to introduce you a little bit more. Uh, please check us out, matrixres.com, find out a little bit more about our practice. Um, so a little bit of housekeeping today as we go forward. Um, we're going to go, we're going to talk for about 45 to 50 minutes. Uh, I'll introduce Tim, like I said. Uh, we got some great questions for you guys to, uh, to listen to Tim talk about today. Um, and then we'll take the last little bit um, to hopefully spend some time in doing um, some QA. Everybody's muted right now. It's, you know, typical webinar kind of thing. Uh, but we'll take the last few minutes to talk through some questions. So if you have any questions, please feel free to use the question and answer function uh, in, the, in uh, Zoom and we'll take a look at those. Um, also, uh, we will be providing the recording to everyone who's an attendee uh, today, so look for that, uh, and um, we're just excited to, uh, to get going today. This has been an area that has been, um, obviously for Tim, it's been a very passionate area because that's what his career is built around, but for us, really just wanted to give you guys a little bit of the genesis um, around that as we show this last slide with Tim and I's face on it. Um, but wanted to uh, give you guys a little bit of the genesis of, of this today. So what we found is that, you know, over the last uh, several years, as we were coaching organizations and we were helping them build really good practices and processes around agility and change leadership, we started to see that we were hitting a technology problem. And, um, and that's so indicative of what we see a lot of times in our clients where, where we get really good at sprinting or really get really good at delivering software to something that's not quite production ready, not quite to the client. And then it just hangs out. It hangs out because of, you know, our infrastructure at our clients. It hangs out because of testing. It hangs out 
because of compliance or what we're going to be talking about today, security concerns. And so this became a real big point for us because as we're helping these companies move, we so wanted to see these companies get this stuff and get those feedback loops from their end users and from the people that are really working with the products. And we weren't able to. And so we realized really quickly that we needed to pivot. Uh, and you'll hear me say that a lot. We, we pivot and we find out, let's change. Let's figure out where we need to focus. And so we started building out this DevSecOps practice to really help drive the fact that uh, we needed, needed to be able to help our clients. And truly, I mean that, help our clients um, overcome these challenges they're having. So enter Tim Wilcoxon. Tim, I want you to go ahead and introduce everybody uh, to yourself. Tell us a little bit about you, um, where you come from, and let's let's get on with the, uh, I always call it the elephant in the room. Beautiful place behind you, man. Talk to me about where you're, where you're at and, uh, you know, why such a beautiful cabin behind you there. <laughs> yeah, I'm in a mountain resort right now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> right. no, this, yeah. this is a guest house office. <laughs> yes, we're uh, so I'm in northern Idaho um, right now in my guest house slash office. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself. Give me a little bit of your background. Yeah, yeah my background. So I've been a consultant um, for several years, um, focusing on pretty much everything at the convergence of cloud, cybersecurity, DevOps. Um, you know, before I was consulting, I was an architect and before I was an architect, I was an engineer. Um, and I've also worn the leadership hat, um, in a lot of transformational contexts. Um, and so I've worked with, you know, customers in the aerospace and defense industry, um, lots of fortune 500 companies, uh, in healthcare finance, um, lots of different contexts. Um, but especially I think focus a little bit more on the regulated spaces. Um, I, but I have had a brief stint in startups as well. So I've kind of gotten the full coverage. Yeah. You got that whole, that whole, yeah. that whole gambit. Yeah. And no, that's good stuff, man. Um, so, you know, we're, we're talking about this idea, this dev sec ops versus sec DevOps versus yeah. cyber versus whatever all those different things are. It makes my head swim a little bit, but yeah. you know, the importance behind this is we're seeing this become, um, a, a bigger focus, uh, for the people that we work with for our community. Uh, and for our co economy, I mean, just take a look at, I'm, we're, we're miles away from where we're located. I'm located outside of Atlanta, I'm miles away from two of the, you know, the biggest cyber attacks that we've had in the United States uh, in a while with both uh, Colonial Pipeline and with this latest, um, you know, processing, meat processing thing that, that, that happened. And, and so we, we start to feel it really in our pocketbooks. And I, I feel like, in a lot of ways in our wallets, because, um, you know, maybe we may not feel as consumers, the impact if somebody doesn't have a, you know, a CICD pipeline, <laughs> but we absolutely feel it when, when we don't, we can't get gas, or we absolutely feel it when, you know, an IOT uh, vulnerability causes us not to be able to get shipping materials, right? So, this is important stuff. So that's why we're talking about this today. And I know, again, it's passionate to you. So let's just jump into the first question that we, we often get. Yeah. Uh, and that is, okay, I've heard, I've heard DevSecOps. Um, you know, we have organizations that are adamant that it's SecDevOps. Um, we hear cyber, 
we hear security as a serve, whatever that is, just at a high level. What's what's in a name, Tim? Like, what should we be using? <laughs> just help us out. Help clear the air, man. Yeah, sure. Well, no matter how I answer, there's going to be somebody um, on the uh, the other side saying that's not that's not correct. <laughs> And that's okay, right? We can we can agree to disagree, <laughs> even right. in 2021. That's right. So there's going to be some of that, yeah. So because we we do have clients that they're very adamant about which which the, which name to use. Um, so uh, some of it's semantics, right? Dictionary definition is still being shaped. So the way I answer this has more to do with client trends and the way the community in general seems to be sort of shaping up. And so th these are generalizations, but. Uh, it sort of goes a little bit like this. Um, the secure DevOps folks, they tend to be like, this is DevOps done right. You know, secure DevOps, um, it really could be called just DevOps, just DevOps done correctly. Uh, so that what that means is that you're integrating um, the normal best practices for like continuous integration delivery. Um, they, may, they may extend that to various policies, compliance. Maybe they go as far as compliance as code and other things, but typically it tends to be pretty focused on continuous integration and delivery. Um, and, and really it's just focused on the core elements of what most people think of when they think of platforms and tools around a DevOps and doing those securely. Um, and then on the DevSecOps side, DevSecOps side for at least for a lot of our clients tends to mean there's more of an emphasis on integrating security across the entire product lifecycle. Right. It tends to be a bit more holistic. Um, so pretty much everything from the developer workflow at the very beginning, all the way to like production cloud and what that, what that looks like. Um, I will say this, even with people who have that kind of basic understanding of DevSecOps, you still get folks that think of DevSecOps as being the same thing as AppSec um, instead of inclusive of it, or they think, they think it's entirely um, you know, continuous integration and delivery based where you're putting, doing gates and policy and having SAST and DAS tools and things like that integrated. Um, they tend to focus on one thing or another. And what I would suggest is DevSecOps is just a way of bringing a correction to the DevOps community saying security really needs to be a first-class citizen. Yeah. It needs to be a heavy emphasis. Um, it's not something that you can sort of, um, you know, say we just added a few tools. It's a little bit more than that. So some of the things you might see in the DevSecOps practice is, you know, having security champions and product teams and having, getting them trained, getting people trained to be security champions. Uh, for the sake of decentralization and scale. You might right. see things like um, compliance as code, which is still unfamiliar to a lot of, a lot of places. Um, you might see agile threat modeling as a part of the product lifecycle, which you know a lot of folks um, talk about, but it's really hard to do well and it's hard to get that jump started, even though most people recognize there's massive value there. Yeah. So that's, that's typically how I break it down. I mean, um, I would say this, if you just say sec DevOps or you say DevOps done right, you may be missing the fact that there's some traditional security practices or modern security practices that a lot of people are leaving out when they're thinking about that, that I wouldn't want to when I'm talking about DevSecOps or that more emphasis on security. Yeah, yeah. And I, I love how you said um, it makes security a first-class citizen. You know, we, we see that often is that oh architecture well we'll we'll worry about that when we when we get to the technical design we're not going to think about that early you know and we've seen the same thing with security you know we've seen the evolution of that with trying to build security into the model rather than it being um, honestly what a lot of a lot of folks say is oh, those are the people that are keeping our stuff from from going to production right I mean we we've heard that and 
I don't know why they're throwing a fit, you know, and we're like, we're, they're trying to secure and make sure that there's no vulnerabilities. And so the earlier we can get that in, the earlier we can get that mentality going that security is important. It's, it's a, it's a first-class citizen. It needs to be represented and it needs to be considered. So I'm really glad to hear you say that about the first-class citizen. It, it really helps out. So, you know, we started touching on this a, a little bit, you know, about the idea of, of weaving this, weaving this in what sounds like a little bit of maybe you would call it shift left. Right. So talk to me a little bit more about that. You know, you said secure or DevOps done right. I'm hearing this thing like we need to start shifting left to get it more involved in even upfront in requirements and in the stories and the, and the, you know, features or whatever else. So I know there's a ton of confusing terminology, you know, what's meant by this whole movement towards shift left. Yeah, it's so shift left. I mean, I think everyone's kind of gone to a, maybe a cyber conference or like a DevOps conference or maybe one of the big cloud conferences and they've heard talk about shift left. And some people use it in a way that maybe I'm not used to using it. So the way I'm used to using it is more focused on the shifting security left. Yeah. Um, so if you think about like the whole product life cycle is like a straight line. And all the way on the left of that straight line, you have like a developer workstation. They're just writing code. Um, and then you move forward in that line and you start getting into the code getting integrated and tested and running through um, automated gates and policies and things like that. And then getting promoted across environments and eventually getting shipped um, to a pr production environment. The production environments that like, say, think like production cloud um, right. is, the, is the far right. And so shifting left means not just focusing attention on security for the production environments, but focusing security closer to the developer workflow. Right. Um, it could be anything from like software composition analysis. It could be um, pre-git commit hooks. It could be um, things on the developer workstation. Um, it can be static scanning and you know dynamic scanning. All, all those kinds of things are instances of tools and technologies that we integrate for shift left. Um, matter of fact, pe people tend to think of when they think of DevSecOps a lot of times or um, security as it relates to DevOps, they tend to stay there just thinking shift left, like we need to, and they tend to sort of reduce it down to, we just need some SAST and DAS tools. So we have a lot of clients that they're trying to do this and they're, they're doing a good job. They're getting tools in place, they're configuring them and so forth. Um, but oftentimes it ends up, the efforts around DevSecOps end up staying there in a couple of tools. And yeah. you run into a couple of problems. Like one, are the tools actually configured well? Are they, are you outputting stuff to a dashboard? Are you running analytics? Do you have DevSecOps KPIs that make sense? Yeah. Um, yeah. All that kind of stuff is just how you do that stuff well. But then there's just the element of two of what about compliance as code? Um, what about um, auto remediation in your cloud context and et cetera, et cetera. So I always push a little bit more holistically. Yes, shift left, absolutely. Yeah. But let's do that well. And then let's also try to be comprehensive about what we mean um, when we're talking about that, making it well integrated. Yeah, yeah. And, and just to prove that we're not like going through and you're not reading from a script or anything, I'm gonna throw something different at you that's a follow-up on this. And you know, from my perspective, when I hear shift left, it, it even might go beyond what, what you said, further left than what you said. And that is, having our business partners understand the impact of this in how we actually deliver product as well. That's right. So to me, it's, it's even going further up and saying, are we considering 
uh, is this now we we've gotten to the point, I think, where, you know, especially some of the modern frameworks, we have architecture enablers um, that are built into our runways that are built into our, you know, our lean agile approaches at the portfolio level. But what I'm hearing is, is we, we even need to start looking at security as, as having those enablers too, to say, we, we have those constraints, those call them non-functional requirements, call them whatever you want to call them. But we need to start thinking about and considering security as part of that overall strategy and that overall tactic to move forward up front, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, you could think of the line, you could stretch that past left, further left, past developers, as you're suggesting, you go to business. That's that's also, a, a you know, I could, I fold that into DevOps. Maybe I'm being too comprehensive, but being being tightly integrated with the, the business side yeah. is really important for our product teams. And so the same thing goes with on, on the security side as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one area that people may omit is we're not just talking about putting in another set of tools, yep. right? We're talking about changing men- mindsets and mentalities. Right. So and good stuff. The harder part. Yeah, that that is always the harder part. Yeah. So we we throw out these 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 things. We got these terminologies now. We got we understand a little bit about sec DevOps or doing DevOps right. I like how you said that. Or you know, DevSecOps and in in moving left. And what a lot of folks always want to know is okay, we understand that. We we get that. But where do we start? Like what are some of the tactical, like rubber meets the road kind of stuff? Where do we where do we get going with this? Yeah. Well there's several ways you could answer this. I I the usual way people answer this is they do start um, with a shift left type initiative. They try to take the most neglected area, which is a for you know for the most part early in the development environment, and they start correcting that. So they start adding SCA tools and um, SAST and DAS tools, and they start maybe putting some policies in place and uh, automating some of their gates and so forth. They get a lot of those um, typical shift left efforts um, done, and I don't yeah. think that's a bad place a bad place to start. Um, for a lot of folks, you know, who are doing a DevSecOps initiative, they're thinking of they're starting on the other side though, where they're um, they're thinking, okay, well, we have like FedRAMP requirements, or we have some mm-hmm. kind of compliance requirements, and we want to do this in a DevOpsy sort of way. So let's get Terraform, um, let's do infrastructure as code, let's put our um, our our compliance requirements, let's document them in code, like comment them in code and let's do things like, you know, simple examples, like encrypt a, you know, an S3 bucket or something like that as a part of a compliance requirement, but you're doing it through Terraform, you're unit testing Terraform, um, you're doing, um, you're, you're testing the Terraform for security posture and so forth. Um, maybe you're using like a policy framework like OPA or something like that, mm-hmm. or some other open source Terraform tool for scanning Terraform. You're getting your infrastructure as code practices and your compliance as code practices um, solid. And right. so a lot of teams start there and they use, they usually work through like a COE or some kind of platform team to do a lot of that. And they work with their product teams. Um, that's one way of starting. I don't think there's, I think getting started is the important part. I wouldn't be too heavy on exactly where to start. It's really a matter of getting started. If I had to have an opinion about it though, and say one place to start is not a typical way of starting, which I would actually say you should start by training security champions on product teams. Yeah. The reason why is because you That's have good. to decentralize and distribute security knowledge. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a problem to sort of operate this if you don't have a way of making it at scale. And then maybe a second thing, which is considered arcane and strange to most people, but 
getting an agile threat modeling, even if it's just basic, like really simple threat modeling practice in place is huge because it makes everyone on the product teams very security conscious and aware because they understand the, the architectural issues behind security issues. Um, they don't need to be an offensive security practice practitioner to do that either. So right. anyway. No, that's good. And, and I, you know, one of the follow-ups I was going to ask, and you sort of went into it is a lot of our organizations, they've spent so much time um, reducing their time to market. That's been a huge focus for them. And for them to think about creating additional log jams in their processes and their practices in their approaches. I mean, I, I know many that have said, I, I want to do this, but we've, we've optimized to such a point where if I do this, I don't have the people to be able to cover that, that security work. So I'm glad one of the first things you said was, you know, my approach is we want to train up security champions. Yeah. I think that helps us to overcome some of that, uh, that log jamming that could happen in those kind of organizations. Yeah. And the other part of it too, is automation. Um, obviously we're talking about DevSecOps. There should be an element of we're automating things, but not only just automating things like creating uh, modules or templates or, you know, Helm charts or whatever it is. It's also a matter of figuring out a really strategic way of getting it consumed across all the teams. Yeah. So th that's another element because it really should be making this a lot more efficient, easy. You shouldn't have those traditional conversations regarding we're being blocked. It's like, no, no, we have a way, we have a strategy for making our security, not really can because there's more responsibility involved than that, but nonetheless mm -hmm. automated in such a way that it, it's, it's easier, it flows. It doesn't interrupt DevOps, it works with it. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, just a reminder to those people that are on the webinar, we do have the Q&A section open. So please feel free to ask any questions that you want in that, and I will get those to, uh, to Tim here. So Tim, as you're talking, another little side note here. Um, you know, a lot of organizations want to, or some want to separate their agility practices from their DevSecOps practices, from their change leadership practices, from security, and they want to turn those into projects that they run. Um, do you recommend that security could be run as a project or should it be integrated into everything else that's going on? Uh, yes. There we go. <laughs> that's fair. I'm good with that. <laughs> no. I don't even know why I said yes, dude. I say yes, that it should be a project or yes, that it should be. this is a bad, a bad answer. No, no, it, it should, it, it should be. So what you usually do is we, what we, we try to have a tightly integrated um, approach that takes, if customers already mature on, in their agile practices, what we're really doing is we're helping integrate um, their cyber practices, their cloud cyber and DevOps practices into their existing agile practices sort of yeah. seamlessly. But to be honest with you, and as you already know, Josh, the fact is a lot of folks are still working on getting to where they want to be in agile. Right. Um, and so a lot of times it's sort of a seamless integration of helping customers, clients um, get security integrated across the whole product lifecycle while also helping them understand what the process and change leadership aspect should look like. So um, no, running as a project is a bad idea, um, but it's, it's also, I would even take it a step further in saying that you have to make um, culture changes so that you sort of have like this engine that's powering um, the whole thing continuously. Um, yeah. A project does, is not really conducive. That's more like a burst of, of energy right, um, exactly. than something that's driving the organizational change. 
And so there's lots of different strategies and how to approach that, obviously, but right. um, you have to have a, a presence, a cultural presence that's really actually driving things. Yeah, yeah. no, that's good. Uh, that was a little bit of a, you know, throw there because trying to get everyone away from viewing these kind of important aspects as a once and done, right? These are, this is continuous. This is something that has to be considered uh, in a continuous kind of approach, right? Right. And because we're talking agile and DevOps, it's also tightly integrated. So uh, we're avoiding silos. Um, we're yeah. cross-disciplinary. Um, we're not, we're not trying to, there's no protectionism. Um, right. We're not trying to guard our, our area. Yeah. Good stuff. So we do have some good questions rolling in. Um, I got two more questions for you and then we'll go a little bit to lightning round with those. Uh, so I do want to talk about, I love, this is my favorite part is the war stories, right? I love getting into this piece of it. So uh, in matter of fact, I think one of the questions I'm going to ask is going to answer um, one of our, one of our Q and a questions too. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out. But so I'd love to hear, we would love to hear a little bit more about some of those technical challenges or, or war stories, like I said, that you've encountered, you know, integrating cyber and, and DevOps. Yeah, so I think a lot of people would think that, you know, you'd answer this by saying like, um, well, I had trouble implementing uh, like a Lambda in PubSub to do auto remediation or something, something like that in the weeds. Yeah, right. Uh, but it's usually not that though. Usually those problems are relatively solvable. Uh, it's, it's usually a lot, a lot more, um, technical as it's associated with the whole organization. So like one challenge that always comes up and that clients always ask about is like, how do I scale out, uh, DevSecOps across the whole organization? Like how do we bring this everywhere? Right. And um, it's because it's comprehensive. If you if you want meaningful impact, we can't hire for like 400 people. So how do we do this? And so it's it's a couple of things. It's one, taking an as code approach. Um, so mm -hmm. in other words, whatever we're doing, whether it's pipelines, doing pipelines as code, whether it's compliance, doing pipe, um, compliance as code, having as code ways of doing things um, in type modules, um, not repeating ourselves, and then having a, a good mechanism for having these consumed by teams across the whole organization. Um, that can be having good wikis and um, it can be having like a really good workflow automation platform yeah. on top of a lot of this stuff. Um, so those technical challenges, um, integrating things, getting things distributed and so forth. That's one big part of it. And then the other thing that would be, I would still consider technical, but it's also social, um, is the fact that you have to have a way of uh, training people at the product team level um, yeah. to be able to do some of this stuff well. And mm -hmm. um, they already have to wear different hats. And so you're, you are asking a little bit from them, but keep in mind, most of these organizations either need a coe or have a coe to help right. support these product teams and these security champions so getting that technical training in and helping them to understand these things is um, a big part of it as well but the biggest um i would say the biggest challenge is making sure the at scale aspects of this work um so like if you've ever worked in a software factory in the aerospace and defense world software factory is a way of you know distributing um a, having a means of uh onboarding software and having it all automated having automated landing zones and so forth in that approach, you really figure out a way to scale um, DevSecOps across the whole organization as well. And there's, there's just a lot of pieces to it. And that's kind of the complexity of it. There's a lot of pieces to the puzzle. It's doable for sure. And we've had seen a lot of success, Sure, um, but it's, it's difficult. Yeah. So a little bit about the technical. So on the other side though, again, reiterating to people that DevOps, secure DevOps, you know, DevSecOps, whatever, it's 
it's all, it's not just about the technologies. It's not about bringing these concepts together, but it's about that mental change. It's about changing the ways of working and the ways of thinking of the people that you're, that you're working with. So, you know, we talked a little bit about the technical challenges. What about on that social or people or even the organizational change side? I mean, what are some of the problems you've encountered with that? And, and really, how have you, have you helped solve that? I mean, I know, I know a lot of folks are probably wondering, you know, that's a big part of it is to overcome that piece. So talk to me a little bit about how you've helped overcome that too. Yeah. Um, sorry, I'm mute toggling badly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a few things that, that come to mind uh, that, that are specifically difficult. Um, fear of automation. That yeah. sounds pretty old school, like an old school DevOps thing. Yeah, but it's still there. Like fear of automation yeah. is still a big deal for a lot of companies like uh, firewalls and core infrastructure networking and things like that. Um, a lot of folks are afraid of um, giving over, this is their thinking, giving over control to automation. Mm. They, don't, yeah. they don't want some crazy bot, <laughs> some crazy bit of code um, running these things because they're too important to their critical infrastructure. Yeah. On one hand, the, the concern is actually completely valid. You can't let stuff break, like your head's on the line. You can't let things break. And if a breach happens, the security team's on the line. So mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I mean, you need to make sure that whatever you're doing, it makes sense and that it's uh, testable and, and it's sound. But the answer isn't to not automate. The answer is to make sure that if, if it's critical infrastructure, then you should be unit testing um, your, your code. Mm -hmm. You should be making sure that um, it's actually passing quality gates that say this is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. And this totally makes sense. You should have a pull request um, process with the, the appropriate COE approvers people who represent, um, you know, whatever the leadership is for that particular area, because specialization is not dead, right? Um, and so they have to be on, on those requests. Um, there's ways of making it safe that, you know, but fear of automation is a big one. Another one yeah. is entrenched views um, that security is too arcane. Uh, yeah. this, one, this one comes up all the time. Um, entrenched views that, uh, that security is too arcane is, is basically saying like, we can't have a security champion on a, a product team because they just, they don't know cyber. They don't have a cyber background. Um, and it's too difficult to acquire that knowledge is the uh, implication. Right. And it's, it's true and it's not true. Like it's true in the sense that um, the person on a product team being a security champion is not gonna know anything, uh, everything that is a cyber expert in a particular area, like an offensive security engineer or um, you know somebody who's specializing in cryptography or something like that. Like sure, of right. course. But at the same time, cybersecurity is not so arcane that they can't learn a relevant security knowledge that's going to help them with maintaining their product security. And so it's not too arcane. You don't have to um, be afraid. Um, democratizing security knowledge is incredibly important to this. Otherwise, DevSecOps doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. You can automate it, but you have to have ownership of automation, and that has to be decentralized. So in other words, you have to democratize at least key elements of security knowledge. And then um, the last one, um, the unnecessary fear of, this is kind of overlapping, the unnecessary sure. fear of moving away from specialization. They're coming for my job. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, that, one's, that one's perennial, uh, but it's, it's, it's unfounded. We, matter of fact, we've seen companies that are very advanced in their DevSecOps practices and like no one's lost their job. Everyone just got better work. Right, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Everyone just end up getting rid of dumb tasks and getting cooler tasks. Like everyone, you know, nothing's really changed. A lot of the guys on infrastructure teams and security teams are acting more like true COEs. 
um, they're really helping to be the subject matter experts in areas of their, you know, skill, the, the areas where their you know, best vertical is, and yeah. they're contributing to the quality of the code that's being put out. And they're often acting as like the people helping design and um, engineer what the process is going to be and so forth. And um, so, yeah, none of that's, none of that's true. You don't have to be afraid of, um, you know, move, moving away from specialization. Specialization is always going to exist. It's just that product teams need to be cross-disciplinary and a lot of yes. the COE teams need to broaden their knowledge a little bit more and everyone needs a little bit more kumbaya. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that solves a lot of problems yeah. just on itself, right? Yeah. Is that creating a cross-functional kind of team and, yeah. and, and learning, uh, you know, keeping a mentality and a model in your organizations that is a learning model and not necessarily a straight up governance model. Um, it's better to learn and to pass on information and to grow that way than it is to be told do this thing and figure it out by yourself. Right. Right. So but organizations need coaching on this though. That's the hard part. I do. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's not, it, you don't really default into this mentality and distributing this mentality is also a little bit difficult and where it involves that sort of like special combination of socio-technical skills. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I'd like to, I'd like to change gears a little bit. Um, we've gotten some great uh, questions and we got about, got about 20 minutes left. We may, we may only take 10 of those or whatever. And I know no one's going to be sad if, if we roll out a little early here, but um, great conversation. Thank you so much, Tim. Let's, if you're okay, let me jump into a few of these questions. Is that, yeah. is that all right with you? That sounds great. So got some great ones here. Um, one of our viewers is asking, okay, with a focus on, obviously you mentioned it earlier, automation, control, security automation, um, how do you still either maintain that uh, value of human security and control assets, especially when you're talking with leadership? Like, how do you balance the whole automation versus human, you know, human security? Oh, I piece? see. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I have not been satisfied with the answers I've heard in the past. Um, uh, the ans- but the answer is, and the way our practice approaches this is a uh, high degree of ownership. And that may not seem immediately obvious, but uh, automation is meant to represent human intention. So um, whatever it is, whatever kind of automation it is, it's meant to represent human intentionality. And whatever, whoever the subject matter expert is or the person on the COE, they're supposed to be attached to a certain segment of the automation, meaning that their intention is represented in that automation and they own it. And so if that automation changes, it needs to function more like a pull request where they're the ones proving changes to the automation that represents their intention. Therefore, you have this great um, symbiosis between the automation itself and the person that's owning it. Yeah. And so that's, that's the way it's dealt with is that you're not taking out the human component. You're just making sure that the human component is facilitating um, the speed of delivering of the software and not getting in the way of it. And they, yeah. they're properly owning it. They're the experts on that automation, how it works and how it should work. Right. Good stuff. Um, let's see what else we got here. Uh, so another great question talking about large organizations with a ton of cloud resources. Not sure if he means, um, if he means people or the other kind of resources, but, um, says starting shifting left as far as cloud goes without lots of org friction. How do you accomplish this? I mean, he said, it'd be great to convert everything to IAC overnight, um, infrastructure as code, but that's not often the reality because, you know, organizations are people, right? So how do you start that? And um, what's that look like? 
Yeah, that's a, actually a complicated question, a deceptively complicated question, because there's a couple of approaches and it depends on where they're at. So for example, if they don't have a COE that's sort of facilitating conversations about these things, then they need to get a COE spun up or have some kind of COP, uh, you know, a community of practice or yeah. um, whatever. They need to have something in place that's facilitating this so that it can be somewhat structured and organized. So that's one element of it. Um, the other element is don't bite off more than you can chew. Um, you don't yeah, have to try go. to think of it as I'm going to convert the whole organization tomorrow. What yeah. you do is you um, you start like a greenfield or a brownfield project of some sort that is going to model what you're talking about and you build it out. Um, and a lot of times we come in and do this kind of thing. We work with existing teams, yeah. we integrate with them and we help them build out like this golden greenfield project or brownfield project that's comprehensive, that covers the stack. It's like networking and storage and data yes. and um, continuous integration delivery pipelines and orchestration layer on top of that, all that stuff, uh, firewalls and WAFs and the whole shebang in AWS, Azure, GCP, whatever. And what we do is we work with them on, um, you know, evangelizing that, that, that way of doing it, that workflow. And, um, it, and we templatize it and make it consumable. So the, the way of starting is well, one, just get started um, and get started building something, be hands-on and then evangelize that um, and integrate with other teams and share. And that sounds so simple, but like, this is what we coach people a lot is like, how do you share this stuff and how do you get people involved and how do you persuade people to get involved and so forth? And that's a big element of being successful with this is you need to find a way to get this way of doing things um, communicate it to other people and get them participating and digging in and building and engineering with you. Yeah. And adding to that, you, you mentioned taking and focusing on either that single green for brownfield. It it's also, we talk about it in a, in a means of thin, of thin slicing, right? Yes. You're not going to try to tackle the organization, but if you're thin slicing, That's you're right. grabbing everything you talked about. Plus you're bringing other people into that conversation. You're bringing people that are on the product side. You're bringing people that are leaders. And so as you move to the next thin slice, more than likely you already have those same individuals involved in the next slice. So you're reducing the friction with leadership. They already see the ROI. You're, you're already showing that you can fund, uh, fund this appropriately. You're not having to fight those same battles as you would with that initial thin slice or by trying to tackle the entire security implementation. Um, you know, it reminds me of, uh, of a group we were talking to that really wanted to bite off that whole huge chunk. And we're saying, don't do it. Whatever you do, don't try to go at it from that thin slice it. So you can prove that ROI, that value, right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And it's less stressful. <laughs> yeah, definitely less stressful. And you don't have some of the scale scalability issues that you would yes. run into if you're trying to do something that broad. And you'd, and you'd be surprised by how fast the changes come though, because there yeah. is next it's like, okay, well, let's start working with other teams and let's start building more. There's more, there's more work to be done, but you'd be surprised on how much work you end up getting done in the next phases because you have a lot more cooperation and you have a plan. Yeah, exactly. You've, you've learned, you've created feedback loops. You, you've, you've, when you go into the first time, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And you're in that discovery, you know, you're not sure what's going to happen, but now you have more of that under your belt. You can adjust, you can change, you can move your approach around, you can pivot. I got it in again. So, okay. Um, next one. Uh, I think we sort of talked about this, but maybe just um, add a little bit more color to it. Uh, I love this in an agile ish environment. <laughs> I love the ish in there, Robert. Great job. Uh, 
Yeah, exactly. How do you balance the need for reactive security remediation and the flow of new development? I know we talked a little bit about that with the logjam kind of thing, but you want to get us a little bit more, maybe some practices that could help with that? Yeah, I'm not totally sure. I'm because the, there's a couple ways that could be interpreted. Sure. Um, so, so react. Say that again. Reactive and reactive security remediations and the flow of new development. So, to me, I think I'm hearing, oh, yeah, like yeah. that juxtapose. Right. We got we need this flow of new development, but man, we got to do the security remediation in the background on right, right. Stuff. Like you had an audit finding, and now you're correcting a bunch of stuff yeah. or whatever. Well, there's so there's tons of ways to answer this because um, everyone's situation is a little bit unique. So like you may just have to like um, bring people in or gather it round up in internal resources and just start working on those remediations and try to yeah. use automation safely and try to fix some of those issues. But like long-term more sustainable is building auto remediations is kind of the key. So I mentioned like Lambda and PubSub and things like that. That kind of architecture for being able to um, grab security related um, events and have responsive um, functions that run um, and then correct those issues um, is a big deal because a lot of those things are just common stuff like firewalls and weird stray endpoints and things like that. Um, that or I am over provisioning and stuff like that. A lot of that stuff can be handled with auto remediation long term so that makes it more sustainable. Um, but then you also just for now you might just need to write automation that corrects some of those issues. Um, and I would actually say it's a little bit of a separate practice, like having a better like uh, flow from like the left to production cloud. Mm -hmm. um, the best way to start is, and I, I'm a big promoter of this, is um, agile-based threat modeling. So yep. you do threat modeling as a part of your normal product development cycle. Um, you, you, your definition of done, right? That's yeah. right. You, you, ha you have to have a threat model that at least shows you where, um, it shows you where data is sitting. It shows you, um, it, it, it shows you, it gives you, it forces you to understand your architecture better. Um, and it helps you to understand where the boundaries are. Um, and it also allows you to come up with um, um, a, a visual for folks to understand your application better and some of the potential risk. That has a lot of downstream impact about how you handle security for that product. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we often advocate for where it's possible, because sometimes it's not, you can't get quite the visual you want with this kind of thing, but doing an as, a, as code approach, using one of the popular frameworks out there for threat modeling, you can literally continuously integrate or continuously build um, threat models as code. And when you put out a new service, you add to that code um, and you build it again, it produces visual output and so forth. And so you literally have that as a part sitting in a repo with your app and you're continuously um, adding to it as you put out new services, and especially relevant when you're putting security um, relevant new services out, whatever, being able to add to that easily as you're developing the product as a part of your practice um, really helps have that keep that sustainable and, and a little bit more easy. Yeah. Good stuff. So we're going to do one more question. I do have more. Uh, for those of you who have asked questions, um, some of them I want to get to everybody. So Tim, you and I can sit down and help them. Yeah. We can provide some good resources or blogs on DevSecOps. We can definitely send some information about tying ROI up um, right. up front. We can, we can handle those. Um, like to ask one more question because you were talking about democratization of security knowledge. Right. Um, so within an org, if you if you're doing this, that democratizing security knowledge, do you need separate security divisions? This person's asking, what's the shared responsibility between the dedicated cloud sec guys and the democratized security responsibility everyone has? This so that's a really good question. Uh, the answer is maybe <laughs> not as satisfying as what you want, which is it's going to be a little bit different for every organization. 
Yeah. Um, but what typically happens is the clouds, like the cloud security team, um, they, they need to be, uh, they, they should be integrated in the COPC. We kind of yeah. thing where they're working with other people who maybe are specialists that are not a part of this, the, the, the security, the cloud security team. Um, but they want to make sure that they're tightly integrated with the rest of the expertise in the organization. And then the, the division sort of is on the product level. If you can call it division, I would not want to use the word division personally. Um, cause <laughs> we're trying to unite here. Uh, right. Yeah, exactly. But the product, the product team has a little bit of a different division in the sense that they're not going to be like handling landing zone design. Like they may give feedback on landing zone design right. and work with, um, a COE or a COP on landing zone design, but they're not probably going to be, um, the ones pushing that. Um, what they're definitely going to be a little bit more responsible on the product threat modeling side or the SAST and DAS tooling. Um, the security champion on the product team is probably going to be the one sort of helping facilitate that. Um, and the COE is going to be making recommendations or maybe they spot, it works. This is where it gets tricky because yeah. every organization handles it a little differently. Like sometimes Absolutely. they, like the COE chooses the tools. So maybe you're you're using like Veracode or something like that, and they have an account already, and they want you to use it, and so forth. And there's got to be a little bit of back and forth and give and take. Um, yep. But generally speaking, the further left you go, the more it's a um, security champion on the team. And the further right you go, it's more the responsibility of the COE. But what we like mm -hmm. to see is a lot of communication and exchange, and a lot of sitting on those product teams, showing up to meetings and things like that, showing up to standups and. And things like that and a lot of ex exchange because honestly they feed off each other in a good they way do. yeah absolutely and yeah it's it's to me it's like anything else that we're going to talk about changing in an organization right you're not going to step in and say do it this way now um and for always and forever you're going to look at ways that you can start to integrate you're going to look at ways that you can start to change the the way that you've always been doing it Right. So you're looking for that. And, and depending on your organization, depending on the model where your leaders are, whatever else, like you said, there's just going to be different ways that that's implemented or, or done. So right. no good stuff. Tim, thank you so much for today. Um, for those of you who are on uh, are listening in, we're not only going to uh, release this to to those of you who are watching, we're also going to be releasing it on our new Agile Reformist podcast. So watch for that. That's coming soon. And uh, thank you again. It was great to have all the questions. For those of you who asked questions and we didn't quite get to them today, um, we'll do some follow-up with you guys and look through them and see which ones we want to we want to answer um, a little bit more. So feel free to reach out if you guys have any further questions. Um, thanks again for joining. Thanks again, Tim. Thanks. Appreciate it.